would like you to join me with reading our verse together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day of And I just want to say a special thank you to everybody in here. There are several, several people who work so diligently every week and, and uh, helping out with this class and all the things that go on with that. So thank you for doing that. Whether it's, you know, putting together these PowerPoints, uh, getting things done Donald enough of that every week, and for Tish, handling our prayer requests, making sure that our, uh, those things get updated. Many people are involved in this class in so many different ways. So thank you for your faithfulness in serving and working and doing this diligently each and every week. I do want to let you know that for the men's group, we are beginning next Monday is our is our first official meeting. Is that correct? And everybody's meeting at our house, uh, the men. Um, males, ooh. So, um, um, and who's leading that one? Skip is leading that one. And so um, we'll be meeting at our house. Uh, that's And if you don't have a connection to that, please see... Uh, yeah, Will or Jenny afterwards, and she can make sure that you are on the email list so that you get the updates of where the meeting's going to take place. That way, GPS, you can find the house, get there, know what's going to be, what the food is. For the men's group that meets on Monday night, we have food. Um, we meet at, at typically at 7 o'clock, so that will start back at 7 o'clock on Monday night. We're out of there at 9 o'clock, and so we'll eat from 7 to 7.30. Uh, a, a main dish is served, and then a, you just bring a side dish of some kind. Chips, drink, you know, or some dessert, or some appropriate side that you would like to bring, watermelon or whatever, you, whatever you like. And uh, we usually eat for the first half hour, and then an hour and a half of, of uh, Bible study and prayer together. It's a great time for the men to get together, so we encourage you to do that. That's next Monday at 7. Hey, Lou. Yeah. Share where we're at in the book. Yeah, it's chapter, we are, we're going through God's Not Dead, and we're in chapter 5. We're doing chapter 5, God's Not Dead, He's Surely Alive. So if you're into Christian music, you we're going there. Anyways, hallelujah. We're in our last commandment, okay? Next week, I'm going to start a brand new series. And I've really prayed about this, trying to figure, you know, and I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be addressing specific, not just a, necessarily attitudes, but I'm going to be looking at characteristics of a godly man or woman. Characteristics of a godly person. We're going to be starting next week with this topic of humility. Humility. And we're going to be looking at these various characteristics which is applicable to all of us in this room. Regardless of our age, regardless of our socioeconomic status, regardless of our educational background, every one of us are called to certain characteristics as followers of Christ. And these characteristics will be exemplified or hidden in various situations and at various times. And so we're going to look at each of these types of characteristics for the next several weeks. 
And uh, Lord willing, it'll be very applicable to all of our lives every single day. So next week, we'll begin with humility. I didn't add the whole thing, ask the whole thing here. You shall not covet. Okay? And then it goes on to a list of things in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. A list of things that we are not to covet. Okay? What is contentment, though? I'd like to start off with this idea. What is contentment? It is a sense of satisfaction, pleasure, or gratification. From a biblical perspective, these attitudes are not impacted by one's situation or circumstance. In other words, you are content. It's an attitude of contentment regardless of what's going on. Is this something that we need in our culture today? Contentment in the midst of chaos, right? Things are crazy. How can you act content? Philippians, someone read Philippians 4, 11 and 12 for me. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what is to be in need. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So the Apostle Paul is saying it doesn't, it doesn't matter what situation. I've learned to be content, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, whether things are going great or I'm having a difficult time. Whether I'm living in, in, with a, a lot of things in my life, people in my life, I have plenty. How many times have you saw, read for the Apostle Paul saying to a church, uh, send them to me. Send, the, send this person to me. I need some encouragement. We need people in our life to be an encouragement. We need to be around people to be encouraged. And so he's saying that. He says, you know what? I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, whatever situation I'm in. Wouldn't it be great... If we learn that sense of contentment ourselves, then no matter what it is, uh, for those of you who are young and going to school, do you all, is your teacher always in a good mood? No. No. <laughs> no. But can you be happy and content, satisfied, even when your teacher's not having a good day? Yes. Yeah. Can you? What about your parents? Can you be in a good mood when your parents aren't necessarily having a great day? Or your spouse isn't having a great day? Or your child is not having a great day? We had the unique pleasure this last night of having Madison and Zachary. And they spent the night with us. We got them in the afternoon and did several activities with them and took them to dinner and came home and did the routines of getting them ready. And then they decided to wake up early for church. But they're not ready for church. They're not getting ready for church. They just want to go 100 miles an hour playing and doing stuff. Can I play the piano? No. Yeah, not right now. That's it. And just, yeah, they're doing puppets in, uh, in the window. I mean, they're just all over the place. And sure, like both, you can hear each other sigh frequently. That's why God gives you children when you're young. Ooh. We were exhausted this morning. And I kept on thinking to yourself, Lou, this is God's way of telling you, are you content? Are you content in whatever state you're in? Okay. And obviously, no. And so I was like, Lord, okay, you're trying to teach me this, regardless of what's going on in my life. Okay. Dave, okay. nine months, 
It's hard to be content when you're out of a job and you can't provide for your family. People know that in this room. You've experienced that. You've had situations with jobs. Joseph, you went through that. Harry, you've been through that. There's a family. You know, you know these things. Learning how to be content, though, is an incredible blessing, but it's impossible. In and of ourselves, it's impossible. Is contentment a choice? I changed your notes. Okay? I put why or why not. So in your notes, it says why or why not. I said, no, we're not even going to have a discussion about it. Yes. Contentment is a choice. So I changed your notes. Okay? <clears throat> Philippians 4.13. Someone read that for me. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Okay, so go back. He says, I have learned, halfway down, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I've learned the secret. Here is the secret to contentment. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do anything. I can be content because Christ will give me the strength to be content. I can do it not in my own strength. I'm not going to be happy. But I can do it through him who gives me strength. But I have to become dependent on that strength. I've got to be dependent on God. Okay? What can impact a person's contentment in life? What can impact a person's contentment? Real quick. Stress. Stress. Yeah, taking your eyes off the Lord, putting on itself. Yeah, money, money, or the lack of it. Health, 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 health issues. What your peers around you are doing or saying. Yeah, what your peers around you are doing or saying. Loss of a loved one. Yep, the loss of a loved one, a friend. Relationships. Relationships. When they're broken down, they're not perfect, and they're not healthy. But what precedes contentment? Godliness. First Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. When you are living for God, and through that, trusting in Christ, you can be content, which is great gain. When you are, are trusting in yourself, because when you trust in yourself, and I trust in Lou, Everything just ends up falling apart. But when I learn to trust in him, even in the midst of all the craziness, I can then have experience of great contentment, which is great gain. Isn't it? it, it do you, would you prefer being content or being stressed out? Do you like being stressed out? Do you like losing sleep at night? Do you like you know going through those things of worry and fret and you're struggling with all these kinds of things? No. And when you are living, when you make a decision, that's why it's a choice. When you make a choice to live a godly lifestyle, which is a sacrifice, just like a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice, but you go, I am going to live for Jesus. Even though my flesh, my desire says, do the opposite. I want to get angry right now. I want to choose somebody out right now. Show on. I know with my children. Emotion is a reaction to a situation. 
situation. And joy keeps and contentment as a state of being, which are completely different. And you can have the emotion and have a state of being that through Christ, and that's the only way you can get that state of being is through Him. And the emotions can be at any level, and you can still have the state of being. And this is this is one of them. You can still have the emotion. God gave us emotion. The emotions are reactions. Yeah. And um, the other is more um, your choice of taking that situation to Christ and then having joy and contentment. Exactly. It's, it's like the famous uh, poem, I choose joy. I choose joy. <laughs> I, can, I can choose a lot of things, but I'm going to choose good things. So the commandment itself is you shall not covet. You shall not, Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything belongs to your neighbor. What is the meaning of this commandment? The word covet means to intensely desire or want something that belongs to somebody else. So when you're coveting something, you want something that somebody else has. Okay, this includes someone's house or land. Okay, uh, you know, you're watching HGTV too much. And you begin to go, I, I want that. Yeah, Cheryl says he's talking about me. She, she, you haven't started watching. She didn't have watched HGTV for like, she started what, four months ago, three months ago? Two months ago. Two months ago. It seems like forever. Sometimes, <laughs> and now and now we're we're, we're redoing our kitchen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you have a desire for something that someone else has that you can't have, okay? Air. <laughs> air. Air. Oh, air. Sorry. <laughs> Yes, and everything gives thanks. Yeah, yeah our, our granddaughter was in the back seat yesterday, and she goes, Pop, your hair is white. I was like, thank you. Then Jesus' name, Deacons of the Dick, come out. When you desire something that you can't have, it's like, you know, that financial lady who was on there, you're not approved, or you're approved. Who's that? Cheryl talks about it. You're approved. You're not approved. Who's that? Susie Orman. Susie Orman. You know, they go through these things. Okay, you're approved. You can get that. It's when we want something that's not approved because it's not in the budget. We can't afford it, but we want it anyways because someone else has it, and we want it. Okay? Deuteronomy 5, 21 beasts. Someone read that for me. You shall, now, you shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house more lately. Don't set your desire on that. Because it messes everything up then. Because when you begin to covet, and see, this is this is Deuteronomy 5, is the parallel to Exodus 20. These are the commandments again. 
but they're said a little bit differently. And I just did a little portion of this one because it was specifically talking about the house and land. Okay? You shall not set your desire even. Don't have that desire for it. Be content with what you have. Does that mean it's wrong to want something else? No. But what it is is when you begin to overextend yourself to have something that you want that you shouldn't. It's like over the years, I, you know, God bless them. And if you're one of them, praise God for you. It's all good. You know, I don't know of any, I don't know of any realtors in this classroom, but if you are one, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. Um, but realtors would come up to us all the time and go, you need this. You want to have this. And it'd be like, I can't afford that. You know, because I loved, I, in all honesty, I, we could have a bigger house or whatever, but why? Why? For us. I'm not speaking to anybody else. I just know my situation, and I can't tell you the number of people who have went and bought and then had to sell because they couldn't afford it, right? And I'm not thinking of any single person right now. There's nobody in this room I know that happened to, praise the Lord. But, that, you know, if it did, I'm not going. I'm thinking of you. I'm zooming in. I'm not doing that. But don't overextend yourself. Don't desire something that you can't have. It includes someone else's spouse. Okay? This would be an Old Testament example of Jesus' words in Matthew 5.28. Someone read Matthew 5.28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay. Think about this. Okay? This includes desiring something that cannot be biblically fulfilled. This idea of lust. Desiring something. If you notice this passage, wasn't there already a commandment that talked about adultery? What did it say? <laughs> Pretty simple. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Alright? So that has already been addressed. This passage here goes beyond the actual act. It's at the heart of the matter. That's the key here. Okay? He, he, the, in other words, the Old Testament wasn't just about the external, but it was about the internal. But most of the time, people didn't understand that. They only looked at the rules. Give me the rule book. Give me all these various rules that I have to follow in order to, to be a good person. Okay? Tell me what I need to do to be good. Do you ever think that way? It's, here's how we think about it when we're younger. What? Teacher looks at the student. Hey, do we need to know this for the test? Is this going to be on the test? What's going to be on the test? Are you going to provide us a study guide? Are you going to provide us something that tells us what's going to be on the test? You see, we like specific lists. I want to know what I need to know. But the Old as well as the New Testament goes beyond the, the very specific. Okay? It goes to the heart of the matter. Here's the point. Okay? I said this a couple weeks ago. Someone mentioned, oh, Sandy did. Sandy used this as an example. That she was talking to, to uh, Officer Sloan, and he said, seven, you're fine, nine, you're mine. Meaning seven miles over the, uh, over the speed limit, you're fine, 
but you get to nine, I'm giving you a ticket. But wait a minute now. Isn't the speed limit the limit? Yeah. The issue isn't, am I following the law? The issue is, what's the heart of the matter? Am I providing a safe environment for other drivers as well as myself on the highway? That's the real issue. So let's say it's 65 and it's raining hard. And you're going, seven, I'm fine. So it's 65 by Liberty University, so I'm gonna go 72, get out of my way. But people are driving 45 because it's raining like crazy. So is the rule, the rule, it's the heart. We gotta go beyond the rule itself, which is why Sometimes in on highways, we go 80 in a 65 because we're keeping up with traffic. Because we sometimes go, well, it's safer to be doing what I'm doing right now because otherwise I'd be creating a hazard. Now, you're still gonna get picked up if you do that, but that's at least our logical reasoning, right? Anybody with me on that one? Can I get a witness? Yeah. <laughs> you're doing 65, everybody doing 80 is cursing you because you're just cruising along and they've got to slow down. So. Exactly, yeah. So we're talking about the heart of God. So when we walk out of class today, the question isn't how do I live the Christian life according to the rules? It's how do I live like Christ in my heart so that it's actually not some rule, but it's the real intent of the matter. This includes someone else's property, their stuff. It includes anything that they have that you want with a sinful desire. Now, I'm not going to ask for examples that you have had, but you've seen in other people's lives. <laughs> what are examples of when people desire something with a sinful desire that they have? Stuff. A a vehicle. Tools. Tools. A dessert. A dessert. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I want some of that. <laughs> like like Dr. Fall, when he would he would get macaroni and cheese, but he really wanted banana pudding and he would hide the macaroni and cheese or put the macaroni and cheese on top and, and eat the banana pudding underneath it so that Mesa thought he was actually eating something, you know. Macro cheese, I was like, why'd you use that example? Like, <laughs> banana pudding's better than mac and cheese, you know? <laughs> it's hilarious. What else? What do people desire that's sinful? Yeah. Money. Money. The main problems of our days today. So many things. We have to check the heart. You know, um, you know, unfortunately, I know this is biblical, okay? And when I say unfortunately, you have to understand the context. I tend to be a glasses half full kind of a guy. In fact, I tend to be, it's, it's full and it's running over kind of a guy. That's my personality, that's my style, that's the way I roll. I do get discouraged sometimes, yep, and it gets down to three quarters. But normally, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right there. Um, but when, when circumstances sometimes come up, we can sometimes get so focused on what we can't have 
and we get frustrated by that, it can, it can cause us to go, wait, I don't get it as an example, okay? Can I be content in my current state and not desire to be retired? Do you realize, I mean, nobody, I, I, I've been at Liberty a long time. This is my 36th year of teaching. It's my 40th year of being at Liberty. Oh, every week, someone on staff with great intentions will walk up to me and go, when are you going to retire? <laughs> and I go, I'm only, I'm, I'm going to be 58 next month. I'm only 57. And they look at me and go, really? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And they'll go, they'll go yeah, I'm 62, and I'm, you know, I'm 64, and I'm retiring as soon. And they just look at me like I'm with them. That was like, I'll never forget. We were young in our marriage. We had, there was a couple, of, a faculty member at Liberty. Great couple, wonderful couple. And we're still friends to this day. But we went over, you know, they, they invited us over to their house for dinner. How nice was that? It was wonderful. They invite us over to the house, and we get there. We have dinner. We just finished dinner, and something is said. Okay? It was crazy. And, and, and he looks at me, and he goes, how old are you? And I told him, which was about eight years younger than him. Literally. He said, what are you doing here? You invited us for dinner. I know, you're so much younger than us. How could, basically, how could we relate to you? And that was the end of our evening. Well, thanks so much for coming. Okay, thanks for having us. And literally, we walked out and that was it. They could not relate to the fact that we were seven years younger than them, or eight years younger than them, whatever it was. It was like, no. If you're not my age, I can't relate to you. Go away. <laughs> he, he coveted your age. He coveted my age. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, this sin is internal, not external. It can lead to the external. The nine other commandments are external sins, such as idol worship, murder, honoring your parents. These are external things that we do. This commandment, though, speaks to an internal response only, which is also simple and can lead to breaking other commandments. Okay, so what's the example? The example of internal that leads to external. We've already said some of them here. If you're coveting your neighbor's car and you go take it, you've stolen it. Exactly. You covet somebody, something from somebody else, and you steal it. If you hate someone in your heart, and you murder them. You lust and commit adultery. These, the, the heart, it, everything goes back to the heart. Why do I want to do this? If we obey God outwardly, uh, but not from the heart, are we really obeying God completely? In other words, if we're only good externally, if we only live for, for God outwardly, or if we're only obedient outwardly, but inwardly, we're not. Are we really obeying God? 
Now, sometimes a parent would go, I don't care if you have a bad attitude while you pick up those toys, but I'm just grateful you picked up those toys. But we also want to helpfully get them to the heart of the matter. Okay? In other words, why am I doing this? Is it with the right motive? A biblical example would be the rich man in Mark 10, 17 to 23. Somebody who doesn't mind reading a long passage, go for it. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to life? Stop. I'm going to have you keep going. But he runs up to Jesus, falls on his knees. Outward expression now. Hey, what must I do to have eternal life? Wouldn't it be nice if someone ran up to you and fell down at your feet and said, can you tell me how to be saved? Well, get up first. Okay? Let's have a conversation. Right? But outwardly, here's this man coming up. If anybody else was around him, it would be like, oh, this is cool. Okay? Keep going. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Okay. He says, good teacher. He says, why do you call me good? See, Jesus is already going to the matter. See, he's, he's, he's talking to him and he's using words to try to impress him. Why do you call me good? Only God's good. Oh, caught me on that one. Um, okay, interesting. He lists some commandments. Did he talk about coveting? No. He intentionally leaves it out because he knows that's his issue. He's done the external stuff. He does the outward stuff. Yeah, I, I, I've never burdened anybody. I'm a good person. If you, if you ever go witnessing, okay, Titch, yeah. you know, you guys know this, what's going on here, right? Tim? How many times did you hear somebody say, I think I'm a pretty good person. I never murdered anybody. How many, have you heard that? Yeah. Mark, you know it. When you go soul winning and you talk to somebody about their faith and you talk about sin, most of the time, I'm a pretty good person because we're comparing ourselves to somebody else. Compared to you, I'm pretty good. Based on this, I'm a pretty good person. No, everybody understand this. We're all sinners at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter what we've done. There's no well, okay, you got more sin. I've used the illustration before. If I if, if I asked you to come up here and I put a glass of clear, perfect stream, you know, water, it's just pure as could be, it's beautiful, it's cold, it's delicious, and you're thirsty, would you drink it? Yes. yes. Absolutely. If I took one drop of poison and dropped it in, would you drink it? No. If I poured half the bottle of poison into it, would you drink it? No. It doesn't matter how much poison I put into that water. You're not going to drink it. It doesn't matter how much you've done. It's still junk. It's still poison. That's what sin is. It's poison. Right? And so when we live our life, it's, it's basically, why do, you, why do you call me good? Because we tend to justify ourselves to make ourselves feel good. I'm not as bad as somebody else. And that's what he was doing. We'll keep going. Teacher, he declared, all these things, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I chose this passage because Mark adds a phrase that some of the others don't. Jesus loves him. He hears this response. He goes, all of these things I've kept since I was a boy. Oh, really? You're trying? You came and knelt at my feet and said, what must I do to have eternal life? What you're trying to do is justify yourself. You're trying to feel good yourself. And it's not about you doing enough. It's not about you. Your salvation isn't about you being the best mom or the best dad or the best son or the best daughter or the best person or best business person. You know, whatever the case may be. It's not about those kinds of things or not doing the big, you know, nine or whatever. It's the heart of the matter. And he says, one thing you lack. Now, interesting. His salvation did not come. See what it says? Go sell up everything you have. Give the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have treasure in heaven. But that doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. Then come follow me. See, being a follower of Christ is what it means to be a Christian. See, you can store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt the thief, brick, do, and steal. You can do all that. That can happen. But the issue is follow me. But I don't want to give my stuff away. I like my stuff. Then don't go to heaven. <laughs> See, now, it's the heart of the matter, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the heart of the matter. Why are you following me? It's like being a Christian and saying, God, as long as you do things good for me, I'm on your side. But when the crap hits the fan, my Canadian brother. Okay? When life happens to us, are we still followers? Okay? In other words, is it about my happiness? Or is it about what I give up to follow him? How do we break this commandment today? We do it in several ways. Envy. Okay? This sin leads to hate. Titus 3.3. Someone read that for me. At one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasure. We lived in malice, envy, being hated, and hating one another. See, we lived in this malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We envy something. We, we envy someone. And we begin to hate them because they have it and I don't. How do they get this? How do they have this? Why can't we have this? A love of money and greed. Your worth and value life are not your possessions. But how many times do we view ourselves, our value, our worth by our stuff? Okay? I am blank. I am in debt. Bummer. Okay? I am a millionaire. We, we look at certain things and go, I, and that's my classification. I am this. I am that. That's my value. That's who I am. I am, I, I am whatever. 
we, we fill it up. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 and 24 says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, who's saying this? Stop right there. Who's saying this? Who's speaking this in Matthew 6? Jesus. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I have asked this dozens of times over the years. Does what we do now matter in eternity? You can store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt or thieves break through and steal. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know the extent of that. But the bottom line is, he says, don't do that. For where your treasure is, there we are. In other words, store it in heaven. Don't store it here. Now, stop. Does that mean that you can't have stuff? Absolutely not. Okay? It is not about having stuff or not having stuff. It's the heart of the matter. Are you a reservoir or are you a channel? As God blesses, do you channel it out to others or do you hoard it? It's like those hoarding shows. Cheryl can't watch it because she gets anxiety. She literally does. I mean, she literally starts having anxiety attacks watching someone you know, in that situation. Um, we, we were asked a couple years ago, a lady called us and said, hey, L, you served, right? Yeah, we, I need served. <laughs> and so she said, I've got, I, I need some girls to come at my house because I've got stuff that needs to go away. I, I can't really get out and deliver it to the goodwill and that kind of stuff. Would you come over to my house? They went over to her house to help her. I helped to organize it. They could not believe what they saw. It wasn't that she was hoarding and you had to climb over stuff to get, not that those guys, but every single one of her closets in her home were filled with clothes that you could not put another garment in. And over 50% of them still had the new tags on. She probably had well over a thousand garments that she didn't know what to do with. And over half of them were brand new and never used. She said, girls, if you want, she goes, some of the girls were like, oh my word, there's vintage here. <laughs> and it's like, that was her. You know? Cheryl's famous phrase, less is more. I appreciate that. Though there are times when less is less for Lou because we had too much of more, and she just gets rid of it and says, well, if he doesn't know, it's gone. You know? <laughs> she thinks I don't know. It's like, it's good to have a wife like that because, you know, when I get upstairs, it's gone, it's okay. And if I haven't used it in two years, she says it's not worth using. <laughs> No one can serve two masters. Either one will hate, it will hate, you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay? So when money gets in the way, 
Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Okay, that's not about what life is about. A love of money and greed. Selfish desires. This can lead, this sin can lead to every evil action. James 3, 16. Someone read that for me. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Every evil practice. So how can we combat covetousness in our lives? In our lives? First of all, do not love the world. Someone read this very familiar passage to us. First John 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love their father and not the world. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives This is hard. When you have nothing in your life, meaning possessions, when you have nothing, this doesn't bother you. This isn't an issue, okay, per se, except for the fact that you go, well, when I want something that I can't have. What happens when we are Americans or people of plenty and start desiring things that so many of us have? And we begin not desiring it, but loving it. I love it. And we love this world as if there is no heaven or hell. This is all there is. I'm living my life as if this is it. And there's so much wisdom. Unfortunately, I said earlier, uh, you know, I, I had, I'm going through in my devotions right now. I just finished Ecclesiastes. Oh, it's the scripture, but Lord, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, everything's meaningless under the sun over and over and over and over again, you know? And he says, you know what? You work hard your entire life. And I'll never forget when we moved into our home in 1999. We fell in love with our neighbors. They were, had a great home. They had a, a, a pool beside us, which we did not. <laughs> Don't come anything there. And, but we're just good friends. But, we, but something happened. Her husband retired at 62 and died. He worked his entire life retired. And die. That's where some of Solomon's meaninglessness stuff is. You work your entire life, you go, I am going to have 25 years. How long will my money last to retirement? 25 years. Die. <laughs> are you kidding me? And the bottom line becomes don't wish your life away. Live it today. Don't wish your life away. Live it today. There's nothing wrong with working hard. Praise the Lord. There's nothing wrong with saving and investing. Praise the Lord. Keep it up. Keep doing it. But don't sacrifice for the future without enjoying the gift of life today. Breathe. 
Learn to be content with what you have. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Oops, oh, one, done. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Desire from God only what you need. Proverbs 30, verse 89 says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. Learn to be content and desire for God what you need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings that you've given to each and every one of us. There are so many. Count your many blessings, the song says, name them one by one. And I am constantly amazed at what you've done. But Lord, as we go our separate ways today, may we learn to be content in whatever state we're in, but also not desire that which is unhealthy and, and sinful. May we not be a reservoir, but a channel of blessing to others in everything that we do. God, I pray that that, that will, will find true meaning in life then and value to what we're here for. May we store up treasures in heaven rather than here on earth that just ultimately is wasted away. But also, Lord, as we do prepare the best we can, help us not to forget to live today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Great to see you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you.